Hey everybody, this is Brian. Um, hope you're having a great day and just wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, there is an error in this week's show and I wanted to just go ahead and correct it up front rather than doing a whole bunch of re-recording and edits and all other sort of, uh, things that would delay the show. Uh, anyways, towards the end of the show, uh, probably about the fifth or sixth topic or so in, um, I sort of flip flopped and confused, uh, two standard, uh, standards organizations. So, uh, towards the end, we're talking about some, some new, uh, open projects that are going on around containers. Um, and I sort of superimposed, uh, talking about the CNCF, the cloud native computing foundation and Kubernetes and Prometheus, uh, when I should have been talking about the OCI, uh, the open container initiative. So, um, it should be obvious towards the end. Um, the mistake is that, uh, the, the project that's in question, that's called OCID or CRIO, um, it should be something that is, um, sort of targeted towards maybe eventually, potentially, who knows when, uh, becoming part of OCI and uh, it would not be in the CNCF's domain. So anyways, uh, apologize for the confusion. Just wanted to kind of clear that up uh, that I, I uh, kind of superimposed or mixed up two uh, governance foundations. So hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Again, as always, if you have any questions or feedback, please let us know. Thank you. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, today we're going to do something that's a little bit different, um, just in terms of the format. And the reason being, um, it's just going to be me today. Um, Aaron is out, uh, partially dealing with this hurricane that's coming through and some other stuff. Uh, we've both been traveling a ton. And, um, you know, Aaron had asked me a question. He sent me a DM the other day, and we had intended to do this as a, as a two-man show, uh, but he had some stuff come up. But I thought, you know, we, we missed last week's show. We always feel a little bit uh, bad and guilty about uh, missing a show week in and week out. So, wanted to make sure that we got a show out this week. And um, he'd asked me a really good question and one that's been going on a lot in the industry. So I thought I would try and address it myself. Um, hopefully you guys are okay with this format of me just sort of taking uh, questions or taking apart the question that he asked me and then trying to give some uh, perspective on things. So um, anyways, it, the question Aaron basically asked me was, <clears throat> he said, hey man, um, there are, uh, there's, you know, there's a bunch of discussion going on about um, containers, container standards, um, you know, what's going on around container standards. There's talk of, uh, forking standards and so on and so forth. You know, can you make sense to me? And you, you know, you sort of work on this stuff. So, uh, first off sort of full disclosure. And I, and I had thought this was pretty well out in the industry, but, um, some people brought it up to me the other day, uh, full disclosure. Uh, I work for red hat. Uh, my day job is focused on the strategy of red hats, container strategy and their container platform called OpenShift. So just wanted to get that out in the open. Um, you know, what we're going to talk about in this podcast is really going to be, uh, I'm going to try and keep it as, um, abstracted away from my day-to-day job and hence any bias that would that would typically come from a uh, person associated with a vendor. Um, but I'm gonna I will let you know that that some of the discussion that's going on in the industry, um, you know, is is involves Red Hat, and so I'll try and be very clear where there is 
um, involvement of Red Hat versus just kind of trying to explain what's going on uh, out there. And if anybody you know thinks that this comes across as too biased, feels free to give us some feedback on it. Uh, but again, the the intention of this is really to sort of answer Aaron's original question, which was, hey, what's what's going on with all these things that are being discussed around? You know, are there new container standards coming up? Is is something going on with a fork? And what does all this stuff mean? Okay. So let me start with the most basic things. Um, and, and, and I'm sort of break down his question into a bunch of subsections that hopefully will try and explain things for people. So the first part of that is to sort of ask the question, you know, are there container standards today? And what are the things that I should know um, with regard to container standards? So the, the way to think about this is to answer the question, um, you know, containers, Linux containers in particular, uh, have been around for a while. And I don't really want to get into a long history lesson, but, uh, you know, what are called C groups and the associated namespaces and, and the technology to create a standard or a, a container uh, within Linux has been around since about 2006. It's been in the kernel for almost a decade now. Um, you know, and people like Google have talked about how, you know, they run all of the processes and applications they do uh, in containers and have done that for a long time. So, um, so container technology, C groups, namespaces, and so forth has been around in the Linux kernel for about 10 years. Um, obviously, you know, if you look at some of the platform as a service vendors going all the way back to, uh, you know, Heroku, what OpenShift was doing back in 2011, what Cloud Foundry was doing back in 2011. So going back five years, um, and so forth, you know, all of those platforms, if you uh, provided an application to that platform, you provided code to that platform, when they would go execute that application, execute that code, um, that was almost in every one of those platforms running in containers. Um, in some cases, they were called dynamos or cartridges or gears or um, you know, created by build packs, whatever the terminology was for the platform, they were running inside of containers um, you know, inside the platform. Right. And even, um, you know, the dot cloud, uh, the, you know, the, the precursor company to Docker dot cloud, uh, you know, their, their platform as a service, you know, use container technology. So containers have been around for about 10 years in terms of Linux. They've been in platforms for about five years in terms of, you know, uh, commercially available services and, and software. But the hype around containers really sort of took off, obviously, uh, when dot cloud ceased to exist, they became, uh, formerly Docker Incorporated, Docker Inc., or I'll call them Big D Docker, um, and and Solomon, you know, did his famous uh, demonstration of of you know sort of Docker run uh, at uh, Python uh, PyCon, I think it was uh, one of the Python events, you know, back four or five years ago. Um, so it's been around for a while, and you know, Docker did Docker Big D Docker did some fantastic work in terms of basically taking what was sort of a complicated technology to get running and made it incredibly simple. And, and hence, you know, when we talk about containers, um, Docker, the word Docker tends to be sort of thrown around as if it's sort of like Kleenex or, you know, Googling something for a search, right? It's it sort of become very synonymous with, with con Linux container technology. But to answer the, the original point, you know, is there a standard for containers? Um, you know, yes, there are elements that are standard in every Linux distribution, you know, C groups and namespaces and, and other things. Um, Docker, uh, Docker, little d Docker, the, the project in open source um, has really sort of, in a lot of cases, become kind of a de facto standard. And, you know, 
a couple of years ago when the rocket technology came out of CoreOS and there was kind of a, a divide somewhat in the container community, um, there was this thing called the Open Container Initiative, OCI, that got created that was essentially, you know, kind of serving as a standards body or a foundation for, um, you know, trying to create some sort of standardized container technology. And what came out of that was uh, the rocket technology from CoreOS, the concepts there, um, Docker, uh, Big D Docker uh, contributed their technology, or at least part of their technology, to uh, to the OCI, and it created a couple of things. One was called the Run C, and one was called App C. And in essence, these were you know elements of being able to build both a container format and a container runtime uh, that would allow more of a, of a standardization than having it mostly be driven by uh, a certain specific open source project, whether that project was Docker or Rocket or something else. So th- that's kind of the foundation of where this conversation is going to go. So we we have sort of some uh, de facto standards, if you will, or, or leading implementations. We have a, a foundation um, in OCI that's there to try and drive some standardization more kind of formal standardization. Um, and then we've got this technology that's been around for, you know, 10 years or five years or, you know, whatever you want to think about it. Now, the second thing that came up, um, and this has been thrown around quite a bit in the press and media, um, and I've heard it on podcasts and other things is people said, okay, well, um, you know, over the last couple of months, uh, we've heard talk that there is going to be a fork of Docker. You know, people are companies or individuals are going to fork Docker for various reasons. So let's talk about a couple of these pieces um, and, and where the talk has come from. So the first thing to understand is when people say that something is being forked in open source, for those of you that don't live in the open source world or haven't you know, been around open source for a long time, what a fork means, um, and there's some nuance to this, so I'm going to try and be as clear as I can. Um, you know, with open source projects, these are community, community driven and, um, you know, oftentimes they start with somebody who created the technology, um, that person group, whatever it might be, a lot of times drives the vision of where the project goes. But as the community expands, um, you know, sort of the leadership and the direction, the architecture of it, you know, may evolve from being sort of one person or one group to being, you know, multiple people. And, Anytime you have people and technology, um, you're going to you know, occasionally have differing opinions. And depending on how different those opinions might be, whether those opinions are being driven by you know, uh, architectural decisions, technology decisions, or you know, in some cases they're being driven by uh, you know, business and profit motives and so forth. Um, you know, the thing with open source is that all the software, depending on the licensing, uh, but assuming it's using a licensing model, uh, that allows the software to be you know, reused, openly reused, there is a chance that, that some faction of a project of a community uh, will get so frustrated with what's going on that they will create what's called a fork. And in essence, what that means is um, they want to take the project in a completely different direction. They just no longer feel like the original community can be there to, to have an open discussion and make the changes that are going to be inclusive of, of all of the ideas and um, they are going to want to sort of break free uh, and and create kind of an independent project. And, you know, that independent project would then have to be staffed, would have to be maintained, would have to be contributed to. Um, and in a lot of cases, um, you know, you're, you have sort of a faction, right? And it, people like to use the analogy of things like Blu-ray versus uh, 
you know, HD DVD or DVD, um, uh, you know, kind of comparisons and so forth, you know, or Betamax versus VHS, you know, kind of this, this split in the standard. It's one thing to have two competing standards. It's a really a, a different technical nuance thing to have a fork. A fork means not just, you know, we copied the code and made a few changes. It is, we want to create a completely different community. So let's put that in context. Um, there were some articles that came out from, uh, the new stack and, you know, let me step back by saying, I think Alex, you know, we, we've been always, uh, very, uh, uh, we've always admired what Alex is doing, what his, his group and his organization does at the new stack. We think they, they do a great job. Um, so there are no criticisms of, of what they've done, but they put on an article that said, Hey, um, you know, a fork of Docker is on the table and there's some uh, pointing to those case, uh, to that. Uh, article in the show notes if you want to go take a look at it. And what the article sort of uh, implied was that, you know, there there may be a growing faction of companies or individuals who, um, you know, feel like uh, the Docker community um, isn't being inclusive enough of the contributions from other companies or other individuals who may have uh, ideas or an agenda or technology suggestions that may be contradictory to what Docker, Big D Docker, uh, the commercial entity, uh, are trying to drive with their business, right? And this is where open source sometimes can be a little bit confusing, especially if uh, the project name and the name of the, the largest contributing company are the same, right? So that, that's why you keep hearing me say Little D Docker, which is the open source project, and Big D Docker, which is the you know incorporated business you know run by Ben Golub and, and Solomon and so forth. So um, so this rumor was sort of floated around, and one of the things that I think was somewhat misinterpreted um, was this idea that you know certain companies have already forked Docker, and I'll use Red Hat as an example, and I'm not going to uh, explain Red Hat in a defensive way, but I'm just going to explain it uh, the way that that the Docker team or the Red Hat team uh, explained it. And then there's a, a blog post about this. It's in the show notes as well. Um, so let's, let's just use sort of Linux and Linux distributions and Red Hat as an example. So every, almost every Linux distribution these days, um, whether it's, uh, you know, RHEL or Ubuntu or, um, you know, Rancher or CoreOS or anything else, they all support the ability to run Docker, run the Docker daemon and, uh, you know, the other technology and necessary for that, whether it's system D or something else. Um, and so all of them, uh, run this. And so you say, okay, well, it's just available technology at that point. And in the case of rel, and I'm only using rel as an example, other, uh, Linux distributions are the same way. There are going to be suggestions or patches or pull requests that are going to get made. Um, sometimes they might've been created by that vendor. So in this case, let's say Red Hat, or they may have been created or requested by a customer of that vendor. So let's say a Red Hat customer. And, you know, not all of those patches or pull requests are going to get accepted by the, you know, given open source project. So in this case, Docker. So what uh, Red Hat does is they do something that's called carrying patches. And this is well laid out in the in the blog, so it's worth going taking a read just for educational purposes. But in essence, what they're saying is, look, we have a bunch of things that we would like to see changed or fixed in the Docker project. 
and they're you know they're driven by you know in, in the case of Red Hat you know customer demand or just architectural considerations, and those things have not been accepted into uh, the mainline Docker project, and so any company that distributes a Linux distribution, you know, in this case, we'll call it RHEL, um, has an option. They can say, okay, I'm going to ignore those and I'm just going to only provide uh, what's in the, you know, the Docker open source project. Or they have an option to say, well, you know, we feel like that bug patch, um, you know, enhancement would, would make the commercial product that we offer better. And we're going to carry those. And what that means is uh, individually, the company that supports that Linux distribution is going to, you know, on an ongoing basis, have to maintain those and support them and test them and document them. And, you know, all the types of things that you typically do in any commercial piece of software. And I think to a certain extent, this has been, um, you know, uh, misrepresented or represented in the industry as as somewhat of a fork. And, you know, if you look, go read the blog, uh, the folks from Red Hat basically say, hey, um, you know, we don't believe this is what would be considered a fork. Our intentions are not to create a separate uh, project. We're simply, you know, carrying elements that are going to enhance what's there in, in D. And people can have their own interpretations of that. I'm just kind of trying to explain the beginning of, of what was this um, set of, of uh, you know, conversations and rumors and so forth in terms of, you know, is Red Hat or somebody else trying to fork Docker? And if you look at, you know, what's in their distribution versus what's in the upstream bits, you know, is, is that a fork or is that just, you know, a differentiation of patches and, and pull requests and things that haven't yet been incorporated? And I only highlight this because um, if you go to basically anybody who works uh, with the Docker project, whether you're in networking or whether you're in security or whatever, there are going to be open issues that you push towards the community. And the community is going to make a decision. uh, The community uh, maintainers are going to make a decision as to whether or not they're going to accept those or not. And in some cases, um, the acceptance criteria might be, hey, you're just looking at this problem wrong. Um, it's already solved, um, which is perfectly valid. Um, in some cases, they're going to say, I just don't have time to get to that, right? Or it's not well documented or whatever. And in some, and so, you know, there are going to be valid reasons why those get rejected or they just get ignored. And then there are going to be other reasons why, um, you know, they may not be accepted. And this is, you know, sort of where you get into the gray areas of what's a commercial uh, offering versus what is a community offering. And people can can interpret that, you know, in, in various ways. Um, so, but anyways, that's, I wanted to kind of talk about that in terms of like, what does a fork mean to begin with? There's a, there's uh, at least generally accepted, there's a very different um, standard for something being a fork and becoming its own project, its own community, and essentially carrying patches for a commercial piece of software that is based on open source Um and, and there's a little difference there between, actually, there's a lot of difference there between that and something that would be called like open core, but, but we're not going to get into that today. So the next piece of that is really, you know, let's get into reality. Why are all these discussions happening today? Like, why did this sort of come along? And it's a couple of different things, um, but I'll, I'll sort of point out, I think the biggest reason that this is happening now is, you know, if we look at as an industry um, you know, the biggest talking point that, that every business is talking about, every vendor is talking about, most customers are talking about is this idea of sort of digital transformation, um, which of course is kind of a buzzword, but it boils down to, you know, more and more companies are realizing that 
Their interface to customers is going to be centered around technology. Uh, software is driving that technology experience, whether that is better understanding your markets, better interacting with your customers, better understanding the data of your interactions with those uh, those segments. And obviously, software plays a big role in that. And you know, for those of us that have been paying attention to this quite a bit, um, you know, the ability to to move quickly and agile uh, in an agile fashion around this space, um, you know, is is sort of dictating who's winning and losing in certain industries. And so. You know, container technology uh, is sort of, in a lot of cases, at the core of, of how these technology, you know, these applications are being built or how they're being operated. Uh, we're seeing a, a massive amount of innovation happening, um, not only in you know, container technology, but in things like container orchestrators, things like Kubernetes and Mesos and Cloud Foundry and uh, you know, Nomad and lots of other technologies that are out there. So the reason this is going on is is anytime we have massive uh, amounts of innovation and lots of different projects spinning up, you know, people are trying to figure out, um, you know, which one is the best, which one might win, where are the community is going to kind of evolve to. And so it's only natural that we see, you know, people, you know, kind of intermixing, um, technology discussions and business discussions, especially around the technology side, uh, because ultimately this technology, these core technologies are again, driving or are part of driving, you know, what's really top of mind for a lot of businesses, which is how do I become more modern? How do I become more digital? How do I become more of a software company and so on and so forth? Um, so the second part of that sort of follow up is, you know, where do these container orchestrators fit in? And, you know, should, should anybody care, right? Should I care about, you know, what's going on in the, the Docker container standard space if I'm more focused on container orchestration? And I think the answer to that question is they do sort of go hand in hand, right? So um, just to step back a little bit, if you look at any of the container orchestrators that are out there today, or most of them, so take something like Kubernetes or Mesos, um, uh, we'll just start with them. Um, they support uh, multiple, you know, at a, at a project level, community, open community project level, they support multiple uh, container standards. So they will support the little D Docker standard or little D Docker implementation. Uh, they will support, uh, in some cases, Rocket. Um, in the case of Mesos, um, there is a sort of Mesos container standard format and, and runtime and so forth. So there are multiple implementations of a container uh, standard format and a container runtime that uh, are supported by these various uh, container orchestrators, right? In some cases, um, you know, the platform itself or uh, the technology is a little more uh, tightly coupled. So obviously, uh, we see uh, Big D Docker incorporate, um, you know, more tightly coupling, uh, for example, Docker Swarm with uh, Docker Machine and, and, and Docker uh, technology as opposed to others. Um, you know, we see things like, uh, you know, Cloud Foundry and, and Diego and, and uh, garden uh, right now supporting um, you know kind of a, a loosely coupled variant of of the docker standard um, so anyways the, the net net of it is um, there is some coupling between uh, the orchestrators and the various standards that are out there and you know this may evolve over time it may get to a point where they become very agnostic uh, it may become uh, on a platform by platform basis to where they become you know very uh, tightly coupled and and that's something that people may want to consider now so if you step back from that sort of technology aspect, really where this comes into play is, you know, 
if you uh, are providing a platform, you're operating a platform, you want to make it hopefully as simple as possible to allow uh, developers and applications to be onboarded into your platform. And so, you know, what I suspect that we will see is, um, you know, as an industry, just stepping back, wearing our, our industry hat, we would like to see as much standardization uh, of that as possible. We, we, we've always found that standards, whether they're like things like Ethernet or Wi-Fi or, you know, various implementations that become a kind of quote unquote industry standard tend to drive greater adoption, uh, broader adoption of anything. Uh, when we see lots of different competing standards or non-compatible standards, uh, the industry tends to sort of slow down. We see some fragmentation um, and we see various kind of, you know, business strategies kind of come into play, uh, which, um, you know, sometimes they're successful. Other times customers are left sort of asking, you know, what should I do? I don't really know what to do. So uh, there is some coupling. Um, people should, should sort of be aware that there's some coupling of that. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we are seeing um, you know, just kind of massive growth as a whole in these these newer platforms, whether they're based on Kubernetes or Mesos or uh, Docker technologies or other technologies, you know, Cloud Foundry technologies, whatever those might be. So good for the industry as a whole, uh, but things that people should should very much be paying attention to. Okay, um, and and sort of the follow up to that again is is you know should customers or or partners or uh, people you know who who should care about all this? You know, is it a lot of hand waving and so forth? And, you know, I think the answer to that is, should you care? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I think you're going to care as much uh, as you are interested in, in building things versus consuming technology, right? Um, if you're in a role uh, somewhere in the industry where you have to care about building this, then yeah, I think you should care about what's going on. You should be paying attention to this. You should be trying to uh, you know, sort out, make your own decisions about, um, you know, what's what's in your best interest, what's in, you know, people down market from you, your customer's best interest. If you are somebody who is just simply consuming this and you don't care, you don't have to care, um, then maybe it's not a big deal. Um, you know, maybe you're going to uh, buy technology from a certain vendor. You're going to hope that they assemble things. They uh, test it, validate it, document it, support it, um, you know, kind of as a complete solution, whether that is a uh, an end device, end application container standard, whether that's a container orchestrator and, and platform, um, you know, from, from, from any number of vendors. Um, so, you know, I, I think it really depends on where you are kind of in the ecosystem. Um, you know, and I think the other thing to sort of keep in mind is just because a couple of articles got written or some code exists somewhere in GitHub, um, people, you know, our industry tends to, to get sort of worked up about a lot of things. And the reality is if your concern is not just our, is something happening in the industry, is there some noise in the system, but, you know, has a standard been reached? Has, um, you know, has sort of a definitive statement been made somewhere in the industry that everybody follows? Um, the, the reality of that is no. You know, if you look at, at at OCI, which is the at this point sort of the foundation or the place that's defining container standards, um, you know, they have not gone off and forked Docker uh, at a basic level. They have not created any non, you know, they have not created any different standards aside from what was created, you know, a year or so ago, year plus ago, sort of in App C and Run C. Uh, are they actively working to to make sure that? You know, we have a very good, vibrant 
you know, standard format, standard runtime, standard capability. Yeah, absolutely. They are. And there are lots of different companies that are contributing to that. I think there's over 50 or 60 companies at this point doing that. Um, so again, you know, to answer the question, should you care? Uh, again, it really depends on, um, you know, how much the nuances of what goes on in communities, uh, how standards are formed, how architecture is done matters to you versus whether you're just simply an end consumer of it or you're a, you're a builder. So, uh, you know, I'm going to sort of leave that at that. So let's, let's get into some of the nuances of, of the follow on things that have come out of, um, you know, what's going on in these discussions. So, um, you know, the OCI, uh, you know, again, the open container initiative, um, you know, there was a, a project, uh, again, a, a GitHub project, and in full disclosure, it was uh, originally created by somebody who works for Red Hat, still works for Red Hat, um, and it was originally called OCID, and uh, which would stand for uh, Open Container Initiative Daemon. And if you look at the project, um, it was, like I said, originally called OCID. Uh, it's since been renamed to CRI-IO. Um, I'll have to get you the name. All the notes are, are in the show notes. But, um, you know, if you look at it, it was in essence a a daemon that was created uh, to be, a, you know, container runtime uh, format, how to how to standardize, how to uh, download containers um, in container packages, how to upload them to a registry and some other details. And it was really targeted at saying, you know, should should there be one specific for Kubernetes? as opposed to Kubernetes supporting lots of different you know, things, Docker, Rocket, and so on and so forth, should there be one standard one for Kubernetes? And so I'll, I'll step back just from a kind of details perspective. Again, this was a uh, open source project. Um, it was created by an individual. Um, and it's what's, what's sort of important to remember here is a couple of things. Number one, um, it nothing becomes kind of official in OCI until it becomes a promoted project, right? And if you look at their official promoted projects, um, you have Kubernetes, you have Prometheus, which is a monitoring technology. We, we talked with some folks from Prometheus here a couple weeks ago on, on the Cloudcast, um, but that's it at this point. Everything else is, you know, purely experimental, right? Think of it as, you know, not even alpha or beta for some typical piece of software you'd buy. So it's a project, it exists, uh, it's not an official OCI project. And in fact, uh, the reason the project had to be changed in name from OCID to CRIO is because, um, you know, the OCI came back and said, hey, you know what? Naming matters, you know, sort of brand, our brand and our brand awareness matters. Um, we appreciate that you're trying to create a project that that will fit in the domain of what could be the OCI at some point. Um, but until that becomes official, like a Kubernetes or a Prometheus, um, you can't be using the OCI sort of naming and branding and, you know, uh, sort of fair uh, criticism, fair um, correction by them. And, and hence the reason the project has been renamed to uh, CRIO, uh, CRI-O, you know, to make sure that there is no misunderstanding that this is sort of a, an official OCI project. There's no misunderstanding that it has the blessing of the OCI or it's somehow a standard or something that everybody has to implement. Um, now, the second part of it is, you know, well, what is this stuff? Why are we, why is this going on? Why would somebody like Red Hat do this? And is this Red Hat doing it on their own? Um, it is a, again, like it's like the name sort of implied, it's a, it's a, 
uh, kind of a daemon runtime specifically to um, put code in place for sort of a reference implementation that exists around Kubernetes, which says, hey, here's how you would build a specific uh, format and runtime and interaction model for containers to interact with the uh, Kubernetes API. And the thing for people to remember is, um, you know, every project gets started by somebody. Uh, it could have been started by Red Hat. It could have been started by Google. It could have been started by some uh, any random individual who felt like, hey, I think there is a need for this. And we will see what happens, um, you know, as this this individual project evolves, just like we do with every open source project, whether or not it gathers a, a mass of community who are interested in, in helping to evolve it and support it. Uh, we will see if uh, an alternative implementation spins out of this. You know, somebody else may decide, hey, maybe that's a good idea. I like the concept of it, but I don't like the implementation and and I don't even like where it started as an implementation. And so I want to I want to try an alternative project. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where where any individual project goes. Um, you know, the, the sort of follow up question is probably, you know, should there be a, a Kubernetes specific you know, way of doing this. And, and that's a, an open-ended question, I would say. Uh, I don't want to give an answer to that because quite honestly, there, there is not a, you know, definitive yes or no answer at this point. Um, you know, I think we are seeing, you know, we, we know factually, we, we know that there is uh, a lot of interest in Kubernetes. Uh, we are seeing a lot of uh, companies deploy Kubernetes uh, into production. Uh, I think we're going to see quite a bit of data come out of KubeCon in November, uh, I think it's around November 7th, 8th, and 9th, uh, is when the KubeCon event is coming out. Um, so, you know, we do know for a fact that, that Kubernetes has a huge amount of community support behind it. I think around 900 developers are actively working on it these days. Uh, we are seeing a lot of companies who are uh, openly saying, hey, we deploy Kubernetes, you can look at job boards and so forth. So um, we do know factually that that you know, there are, uh, there is a lot of demand for Kubernetes and we are seeing quite a few deployments of Kubernetes. Um, you know, many of them people saying they're being used in production, take that for, you know, with a grain of salt, people, people have different opinions on, you know, do things really run in production, but we are hearing this from the marketplace, whether or not, um, it's a good thing or not for there to be a Kubernetes specific, uh, implementation runtime format and so forth is going to be up to the marketplace. You know, uh, a lot of those deployments of Kubernetes today have been uh, using Docker uh, as the standard, you know, the open standard for how to do that. Uh, we'll see if that continues, if the marketplace wants that, uh, if the marketplace wants uh, a different set of, of endpoint tools or a different standard, uh, you know, we'll see that through contributions and so forth. So, um, you know, I, I want to be very clear that there is no right answer to that at this point. It is, you know, a project that has only been kicked around for a few weeks or a few months. Um, and that, you know, people looking to see, does this drive a new standard should be looking at the higher level body that def def uh, defines those standards, which is the OCI, not any sort of given individual project or any given individual or company that might be, you know, writing that. So, uh, I know some people will, will say, Hey, Brian, that's kind of a biased red hat opinion, uh, or, a, you know, kind of a spin on it, you know, again, take it for, for what it's worth. Um, you know, look at how open communities work, look at, you know, where people are putting their development resources and, and where companies are, are doing uh, implementations and then make your own decision from that. And then, um, you know, I'll sort of finish up with this uh, as sort of a last project because we're getting very close to the end of the show. You know, again, what does all this stuff mean? 
you know, forget about all the, the, you know, community, uh, back and forth, the media back and forth, the, you know, sort of clickbait titles that might be happening in certain articles or, or whatever. Um, you know, what does this all mean? You know, what, what, what should I think about? Well, I think the couple of things to sort of take away from this are, um, you know, we are definitely at a stage where, um, this is important for businesses. If it wasn't important for businesses, you know, you sort of the, the typical line, you know, follow the money and, and you will figure out if something's important. Um, this is important for businesses, both, um, end user businesses, you know, banks, insurance companies, airplane uh, manufacturers, car manufacturers, uh, anybody who runs a business cares about, you know, this evolution of, of technology having a bigger impact on their business. Uh, w- whether it's containers or not, um, we are seeing a- across the board, you know, people being very interested in, um, you know, try- trying to figure out what's the, what's the new way I'm going to interact with the marketplace. And if technology is that, I need to be better at that. I need to be smarter at that. I need to deploy it faster. Um, the second piece is we're obviously seeing a massive shift in the industry in terms of um, how application current applications are being run uh, in terms of cost savings, in terms of efficiency, but uh, more so, you know, how new applications are being built. And so we're seeing a huge paradigm shift uh, because of mobile, because of real-time applications, because of scale out and, and other things. Um, so we know that for a fact. And the thing to take away from this is you know, anytime you have massive, massive changes, and this is, you know, in reality, a massive change. This is a shift of paradigm that has been going on for about 20 years or so, uh, very client server centric, you know, monolithic, if you will, uh, to more microservices, smaller, faster, more agile. And whenever you have massive changes like that on both sides of the industry, um, you're going to have a certain amount of, of change. Um, you're going to have certain times when there's rapid, rapid change. You're going to have other times when it feels somewhat chaotic because there are alternative choices that are, are out there. Um, but again, I, I think the thing to take away from this is, um, you know, understand uh, what these changes mean to you, especially from a business perspective. You know, how do I begin to think about this culturally? How do I think about this? How it impacts my business? Um, you know, get smart about what some of these technologies mean. There are a ton of really good tutorials out there. Um, there are some very good blog posts. Um, there are some great people in the community who are willing to you know, talk to you, reach out to them via Twitter, reach out to them via however, meet them in a community meetup, um, and, and get to better understand how the open source process works because most of these technologies, almost all of them are being built in open source communities. Uh, it's important to understand that this is not just a, hey, it's a hot new thing, I'll just buy it from somebody. Um, there is a you know, pretty well-defined process of how open communities work, how contributions work, how, you know, popularity of these things get, get evolved. And, uh, I think it's important that everybody, um, you know, spend some time. If you're really interested in this, if you really want to know how it works, um, understand how those communities work, because if you understand how the communities work, you can begin to, um, you know, make some decisions and some conclusions about, uh, you know, where will the future of, of certain technologies go. So with that, uh, I appreciate everybody's time listening to this. I know it was a different format. Uh, again, I had intended this to be a, a back and forth with, with Aaron and I sort of asking questions and answering questions. Um, that didn't work out, but we wanted to make sure that you guys had a, um, you know, had a show for this week. Uh, for anybody that is in the path of uh, Hurricane Matthew, we hope you are safe, um, taking care of your family, taking care of yourself, um, putting you know, your safety as a priority. 
Um, as always, thank you so much for everybody for listening, uh, for you know contributing your feedback. Uh, we love that uh, the community continues to grow around the cloudcast, just as it continues to grow around these technologies. And um, again, any feedback you have about the show, uh, if you felt like the opinions were incorrect, if you felt like they were biased, uh, give us the feedback. We'd love to have the discussion about it. We'd love to get smarter. We'd love to get your opinion on things. Uh, so for Aaron and for myself, thank you for listening. And everybody have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 